0: All right, so welcome to our men's meeting. I look forward to these monthly meetings, and I pray that God blesses tonight. If you guys remember, a year ago, we surveyed all of you, and we asked what topics would you like to hear teachings on, and here is what the survey said a year ago. You guys wanted to hear teachings on marriage and parenting and leading your family and meaning of manhood and evangelism, and you see way down at the bottom there, knitting only got one vote. And Backyard Mining only got one vote, so that was a real disappointment. But if you notice, the top topic that you guys wanted a teaching on, 49% of the men last year wanted a teaching on purity, lust, and porn. And so if during this teaching you're like, who asked for this? You did. Which is actually, though, super encouraging to me that we have a room full of men that aren't afraid to talk about difficult things. You guys, yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about purity, porn, and lust. Let's get after that. So uh, Brent and I did not coordinate his testimony in my teaching, but it was like a teaser for where we're going. So Forsaking All Others is my title. I have a couple intro thoughts. First, like we announced this weekend, this teaching is going to be more on the mature end of the spectrum. So if your son is here with you tonight, this is your warning Most families have discussed this with teenagers, but some have not. And if you go, oh, I don't wanna have this conversation with my son tonight, feel free to head out, no problem at all. I did bring my sons tonight, so they're 12 and 14 and 18. So they are in the room, but it's your kid, your call. And I would encourage the dads to have this conversation in the discussion group with your kids tonight. So that'd be my suggestion on what happens after this. I know a good chunk of the room is married, And I'm going to talk about the blessing of marital intimacy between a husband and wife briefly. But a good chunk of this room is not married. You are single. Many of you will get married. But even if you don't, God's standards for sexual purity are not limited to married men. You may be surprised to know this. But God's thoughts on purity are the same whether you're a single man or a married man. And I would argue your single years are the absolute best time to learn how to walk in purity. My third intro thought is that I'm a sexual sinner. I've looked at things I should not have looked at. I've done things I should not have done. And I know we're a room full of men that have sinned sexually. We basically live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet God has called us to walk as men of integrity and purity. And we have our flesh, which tempts us. We have this world full of sexual temptations. And we have supernatural enemies coming at us. And that's why we need a Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He died on the cross to save us. But more than that, Jesus helps us get victory over our sin. Amen? So it says in Romans 7 who will rescue me from this body of death? It's Jesus Christ. So let's dig into it. So obviously, my title comes from the traditional marriage vows. But we all know that marriage and sex and gender and intimacy and male and female, that's all God's ideas. So Go back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. God created Adam. The Lord said to Adam, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heaven, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So, this is the first time that God says, Wait, this is not good. The man is alone. And so, he gives Adam this naming exercise so Adam can come face to face with the reality that he is alone, he needs a companion. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man, and said to the man, This at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. So he goes, Oh, there's a companionship, there's a oneness here. And then the final verse, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so in the creation account, God designed man to have a woman, to have companionship. And we see here the beauty of the one flesh union. They were naked and unashamed. But what I want you men to visualize right now is that there is something special and amazing, and we must not lose sight of what God's good plan is here. Your desire for sexual fulfillment is very good. That's how God designed it, to be between a husband and wife in marriage. It's one of God's best designs. Can I get an amen? Now, this is not a teaching on marriage. I could refer you to other messages, but we long for this relational closeness and oneness. That's how God designed it. And the ultimate expression of that is in marriage. Another section in the Bible that talks about sexual fulfillment between a husband and wife is Proverbs 5. You men know Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 is this super strong warning on the danger of sexual sin. But Proverbs 5 is talking about the fulfillment Between a husband and wife, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. So if you read that section, there is a sexual path that leads to blessing and delight and rejoicing and intoxication. Did you notice that word? God wants the relationship between a husband and wife to be intoxicating. You should be drunk on loving your wife. Scientists, like Brent talked about, say there are neurochemicals that are released in our brain. When a husband and wife are intimate, That are a source of incredible bonding and pleasure between a husband and wife. But again, if you read all of 5, 6, and 7, there's a path there that leads to death and destruction and sinfulness. If we're wise, we pick the path that leads to life and blessing. And then one more foundational verse. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So what is sexual immorality? It's anyone or anything but your wife. Is she your wife? Great, go for it, enjoy her. Is she not your wife? Then that's immorality. And God's command is flee, run away, get out of town. Sexual sin has been the downfall of many marriages, many pastors, many churches. It's brought much shame to Christ. I saw this news story a couple days ago. This is a pastor who was arrested in a prostitution sting by the police. He gets the big nice mugshot of everybody else because he's a pastor. My heart broke for this man. I thought, what an idiot. But my heart broke for him. Nobody wakes up and thinks, I would love to lose my wife and my kids and my job and my church and my reputation and be in the newspaper today. That'd be awesome. That'd be a great thing to do today. It probably started out small enough. He just looked at something he shouldn't have looked at, but he didn't confess it. And his sin grew and grew until he's being arrested by the police. Porn is easy, but it is so destructive. And it can be like a fire that just burns through our life. So my goal in this teaching is threefold. One, I want you to see very clearly that pornography is death. Two, I want you to see how it robs you of your strength. And then three, I just want to pivot to some real practical tools. So what is the state of the union when it comes to sexual purity? It's not good. Here's a few stats. Among 18 to 30-year-old men, 63% say they view pornography at least several times a week. And again, I respect you men that this is your number one topic. But we got to be honest. Many men, many of us are caught in this sin. Now, what is pornography? I like how Matt Fratt defined it. He said, pornography is material that depicts erotic behavior intended to cause sexual arousal. Did you know that the Bible uses the word pornea 35 times? We get our word pornography from the word pornea that's in the Bible. It means illicit or wrong sexual activity. So the Bible definition would be any immoral outlet to satisfy sexual desire. So if you are desiring your wife, that is a God-given amazing thing. If you are desiring a woman or someone who is not your wife, that's wrong. That's lust. And our world is full of pornea and lust and sinful desire movies, TV shows, our phones, websites, apps, videos, even our emails. Some have said in our phone we can have like an adult bookstore that we're walking around in our pocket. And again, God created this to be an amazing blessing between a husband and wife in marriage. One man, one woman in a marriage, naked, unashamed. It's amazing. But we live in this hostile world that takes those desires and twists them and uses it in evil ways. Porn is God's amazing plan, twisted and deformed, and used in our world. I like how J.I. Packer, the pastor and theologian, put it. He said, in times past, God used to attack God's men with a multitude of weapons, but today he only uses one because that's all he needs, and that's sexual sin. And the devil knows we're in a war, and he's throwing his number one weapon at us, but our world lies to us. It's no big deal just a little adult relaxation. But the permissiveness, the pervasiveness of sexual sinful material makes you think, well, everybody's looking. It's no big deal. But if we're wise, we realize we're in a war. So whenever I want to remind myself that I'm in a war, I remember when I was 20 years old. I was a I was a junior in college. I moved into Edwards Hall on the Colorado State University campus. I was an RA in that dorm. I was moving into that dorm to reach out to freshmen, invite them to church, share the gospel. As an RA, I moved into this dorm two weeks early for RA training. I move into my room. I'm opening up my dressers and closet, and I pull open my desk drawer, and there's a porn magazine sitting right there. I bet you if I had walked every dorm floor in that building, there was not a porn magazine put in everybody's desk in that. But it was like a kill shot. Satan was just like, oh, you want to do stuff for God? (laughs) Kind of shoot me in the head right there. I would love to tell you I like ripped my shirt and I like cried, why God judge this world? I did not. (laughs) I looked at it. I lusted. I sinned. That's how I started my school year. But if I want to remind myself that I'm in a war, I think of that moment in that dorm. It reminds me of this verse, 1 Peter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When my kids and I are watching a football game and they cut to the cheerleaders, I'm like, oh, you tricky lion, looking for somebody to devour. Not today, Satan, and I flip away. Some of you might be going, Josh, porn is no big deal. I want to crush that thought. A few more stats and quotes. First big idea, though, porn is death. We are ripping sexual expression out of a relationship between a husband and wife, and we're reducing the other person to a commodity, like Brent said. I read this recently in a book. Professor Robert Jensen said, pornography at its core is a market transaction in which a woman's, <clears throat> women's bodies and sexuality are offered to male consumers in the interest of maximizing profit. So how does porn impact the people involved with it? A former former porn actress said this, people in the porn industry are numb to real life and are like zombies walking around. The abuse that goes on in this industry is completely ridiculous. The way these young ladies are treated is totally sick and brainwashing. I left due to the trauma I experienced even though I was there only a short time. It's no wonder then that uh, many porn stars report they routinely binge on ecstasy, cocaine, marijuana, Xanax, Valium, Vicodin, and alcohol. And 66% of porn stars have herpes. Well, at least they're adults, right? According to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, porn is the number one venue for sex trafficking and 26% of its victims are minors. So it's not just hurting the people in the movies and the images and the videos, it's hurting us too because porn is deaf. How does it impact the people watching it? Three stats. A recent study published in Psychology of Women Quarterly shows that watching pornography can make both men and women more sexist against women. A 2012 Swiss study found that 30% of otherwise healthy males ages 18 to 24 had some form of erectile dysfunction due to pornography. And then a study by the Family Research Council found that a spouse's obsession with pornographic websites was a factor in 56% of divorces. Porn is death. In my own life, I remember the first time I think I saw pornography, my family and I were actually going to church on a prayer meeting night. And we were early. We went to the mall. We went to a bookstore. I was wandering around this bookstore. I was not looking for garbage. And I I don't know what section. I was in the Broncos section. I was probably in the Broncos section. And somebody had stashed a porn magazine. I remember my heart started to beat faster. And I pulled it out. And I looked at it. To this day, I can remember that moment. I don't meditate on it, but it was a very marking experience for me. But there's this process that people go through when it comes to exposure to pornography. Dr. Victor Klein said there are five stages. First, there's early exposure, which can lead to addiction, which can lead to escalation, and then desensitization, and then acting out sexually. So I had about five years from the ages of 13 to 18 where I was just kind of a lust monkey in junior high and high school. Like, could I find any garbage? I was trying to find it and see it, but God was merciful in my life and he kind of knocked me off this road before I continued to walk down this road because I went off to college And my pastor and the men in my small group and in my church, we were talking about walking in sexual purity and integrity. And so it was about five years of building all these sinful habits. And then it was five years learning how to walk in discipline and self-control. God taught me habits from the age of like 18 to 23, habits that I still use to this day. As I was preparing this teaching, this verse just kept coming to mind over and over again for me. Proverbs 31 What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Do not give your strength to women. Give your strength to one woman. Since porn robs men of their strength, you should hate it. You should hate it. How does porn rob us of our strength, men? Neuroscientists call it hypofrontality. The more a person uses pornography, they lose impulse control and they lose mastery of their passions. You become mentally weaker the longer you use pornography. God God has given us men strength for a reason. God needs strong men right now more than ever in our marriages, with our family, with our kids, in our church. And the devil goes, if I can just get these men looking at porn, it weakens them. And single men, like Brent said, do not believe the lie that oh, married life will cure me. Marriage will not fix your porn habit. And in fact, a porn habit could break your marriage. It's like the difference between eating a quality five-course meal or a buffet. There's a guy that works for Covenant Eyes named Luke. Gilkerson, he wrote this. I'll read it to you. Compare the enjoyment of a fine candlelight dinner with a subpar, all-you-can-eat buffet with food that's been under warmers for five hours. If a person chooses the buffet over the five-course meal, it's not because the food is better. He dislikes the buffet because of the variety, the volume, and the novelty. This is what draws men to porn over pursuing an intimate relationship with their wife. They want a variety of women. They want to binge. They want novel experiences. They don't want to to coordinate with their wife. It's gluttony at its worst. Porn is all excitement and no satisfaction. And men, if you eat from the buffet day after day after day, it robs you of your strength. But you men are here tonight. You're tracking with me. I respect your courage But there is something happening in our hearts and minds that we don't even realize. And this is from Pure Desire's ministry. I thought this was really good. Their acronym is FASTER. This is helpful for us to understand what is going on in our brains as we move towards pornography consumption. First, you forget your priorities. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be thinking about and reading and praying day to day, which leads to anxiety? because we're not doing what we should be doing, so we're anxious and we kind of start to speed up and then it leads us to getting angry, ticked off, which can eventually, you can't be ticked off all the time, so eventually you're exhausted and then you're, you move into relapse and you go to where you swore you would never be again. It's helpful for us to meditate on where am I, what's happening in my mind day to day that causes me to go down this road. This could be heavy, I know, depending on where you are. What you're hearing right now, you go, again, everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. But I need to cope with my anxiety or my anger or my exhaustion somehow. Those are lies, and we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to help us right now. That's why this verse has encouraged me for years. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. There's our word, pornea, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, as were some of you. This is past tense. You will not always be addicted to porn, men. It is God's plan to wash this sin out of your life, to sanctify you. And praise God that we are justified. We are declared righteous by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, back to my story junior high, high school is kind of a lust monkey. And I grew up back before there were cell phones, so it's like ancient dinosaur times. But I remember in our computer lab, We had computers set up. I remember the students beside me, the guys would bring up pornography. They weren't monitoring it or something back then. And guys are looking at porn on the computers around me. So that was the world I grew up in where you had internet pornography on the computer. And like I said, I had five years of like very little self-control or fighting my flesh or trying to walk in integrity. And then I go off to college 18 to 23. I'm learning how to walk in self-control and victory and purity. God was building these habits into my life as a college student. And then I got married. And by the grace of God, I've not looked at porn or masturbated for 25 years now. God helped heal my brain of this habit that was like solidly in my heart as a teenager. But God can heal our brains, men. Look at this. Studies show that the brain can actually heal itself even after years of porn usage. God's got to rewire your brain and pathways in your brain can heal and you can learn new ways of dealing with your anxiety and your anger and your stress. People in porn recovery take about 18 months to heal from the damage to their dopamine receptors. Again, porn is, you've got this godly desire for intimacy and connection and it's God-given and it's normal. But porn twists it and it distorts it. So if you're a single man, use this desire for intimacy and connection to motivate you to get married. And if you're a husband, use this desire for intimacy and connection to motivate you to be an amazing husband. And your wife's like, oh yeah, I'll have sex with you. All right, let's pivot to practicals. So I got four tips, some practical things. First, don't linger. Our minds are always creating mental images. A glance can sear itself into our brain as we linger and we meditate on it and think about it. J.C. Ryle, a pastor and author, put it this way. He said, "Imagination is the hotbed where the sin is too often hatched. Guard your thoughts and there is little fear about your deeds." These are two verses that were very meaningful to me in college as God was starting to build this habit of purity and self-control in my life. 2 Corinthians 10, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought, brothers. And then Psalm 101, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. So as an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, 22-year-old learning how to walk in self-control and purity. God was using verses like these to convict my heart, teach me how to bounce my eyes, and take my thoughts captive. And that discipline that God was building into my mind and heart as a college kid have helped me to this day. A sexually sinful thought pops into my head today. What do I do with that thought? Do I meditate on it? Do I linger on it? Do I glance away? Do I take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? A second tool. Have a low tolerance for sin. Be convinced that even a little bit is too much. We tell ourselves, I'm just admiring her beauty. Or everybody looks at porn. It's no big deal. It's just a glance. But that can desensitize us to our sin. These verses that I'm sharing with you guys right now, I memorized these as a college kid. And as I was preparing this message, these verses just pop into my head because I memorized them when I was 18 and 19 and 20. And God has used them for the last 25 years in my life. Ephesians 5, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy men. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God. What does God want me to do? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So again, I'm 18, 19, 20. I'm an RA in a different dorm. I had the whole, like, desk drawer incident. So now, a different dorm. A year later, I'm an RA. I'm working at a desk like this. And behind me, there was a box full of all these old magazines. And I knew there were porn magazines in there. But God is starting to build in my life, like have like have a low tolerance of sin. And so one night when it was kind of quiet, I dumped the box out, grabbed a trash bag, threw all the porn magazines in the trash bag, ran it out behind the dorm, threw it in the cafeteria. I was like, that all needs to go in la basura. The trash. I was like, I gonna have a low tolerance for sin. I'm not going to have that sitting by me. Have a low tolerance for sin, man. You're watching a TV show. Something inappropriate comes on. You flip away. You're done with it. You're on a website. An ad comes up. You have ad blocker. You flip away. You don't go back to that website. You're on your phone. You have an app. You see something you shouldn't be. Oh, I'm sorry. App, you lose. Delete it. For 25 years now, man, having a low tolerance for sin in my life means one strike and you're out. Third tool, make a covenant like Job. Remember Job in the Bible? This is how it describes Job. Job was a man in the land of Uz. There was a man in the land of Uz named Job. He was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He did not linger. Look at the covenant that Job made with God. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. Hey, Lord, you know what? I want to just have eyes for my wife for the rest of my life. Lord, help me in this today. Help me to walk in integrity today. And then look what Job says later in the same chapter. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain and may other men sleep with her. Job is intense. We need some intense covenants. You go... But we all sin and we all blow it. What do we do? James 5 tells us what to do. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You remember this movie, Gladiator? Remember what he said? Whatever comes out of those gates, men, we have a better chance of survival if we stick together. When I was starting to learn how to walk in purity and integrity, I had trusted brothers in my life that I would be honest about my sin, just like Brent talked about. Dudes that asked me awkward questions like, when was the last time you looked at porn or masturbated? Have you taken your thoughts captive? Have you bounced your eyes? Have you been pure this week? Where are you tempted? Where are you vulnerable? To this day, I talk to men in this room, and I talk to my brother in Nebraska every week. And then our fourth and final tool, commit to putting the flesh to death daily. If we, don't, if we just go, I have good intentions, but we're not killing our flesh every day, our intentions are worthless. Look what Paul, how Paul describes it. In 1 Corinthians 9, he said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This This is talking about the discipline or the suffering or the killing of the flesh that God is calling us to walk in. And then Caleb taught on this verse, This weekend, Romans 13, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. So I want to give you guys just a real few practical tools to close out here. First, when God was teaching me these things as a college kid, when I would read a verse from the Bible on purity, I wrote it into this journal and I made a big old journal full of Bible verses about being a man of purity and integrity. I memorized those verses and they've been in my heart for 25 years now. And my second thing would be pray. God, help me to be a man of integrity today. Help me to take my thoughts captive today. And then obviously using stuff like accountability tools, covenant eyes, some of those. If you don't have any of this on your phone, your computer, maybe take a picture of that. You remember recently how uh, Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, there was like this negative news story because some people are like his son and him are exchanging pornographic Accountability emails. And it was like so foreign to the news media. They're like, I don't know what Mike Johnson is doing. He's just trying to be a good dad. And for the record, my son gets my accountability report and I get his. That's what men do. They check on each other. How's it going, brother? And then uh, six books that have been very meaningful to me. If you want to read a fantastic book, read any one of those six. They're all very different. You can take a picture of that, grab one of those books, bunch of different authors and approaches, and some are more scientific, some are more biblical, but any one of those books would be worth reading. I think there's nothing new under the sun, men. God's tools are simple, but they are effective. It's the Word of God, it's prayer, it's other brothers, and it's putting to f- our flesh to death every day. My final big idea. Porn is death, and it robs you of your strength, so it's time to go to war. Amen? Amen. So I want to end with the wedding vows. This is what many of us pledged when we got married. I take you to be my wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy relationship of marriage. I promise to love and comfort you, honor and keep you, and forsaking all others, I will be yours and yours alone as long as we both shall live. Amen. May that be true of the men of the Rock Church. Amen.